So Sunday afternoon, I was walking in the park, listening to a podcast, and I got a text. Uh, and it said, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. And at first, I just assumed it was a joke because, or not a joke, but a hoax. Because it just didn't seem possible, especially because he had been in the news the night before because LeBron James had passed him on the all-time scoring list. So I pull up the ESPN app first because I'm like, I'm not going on Twitter. This is obviously where this is coming from. So I go on the ESPN app, and Kobe is mentioned twice, but it's all with LeBron James. So as this story is breaking, ESPN has LeBron passes Kobe. So I go on Twitter, and I see that Adrian Wojnarowski has said that he died in this crash. And so I knew it was real immediately. But I'm in this park. It's a Sunday afternoon. People are playing soccer and football and basketball. And I suddenly feel like I'm living in a different reality than everyone else there. Because I know that almost all the people there are sports fans. And that this is going to really affect sports fans because of what Kobe Bryant meant as an image over the last two decades. And I was living in a reality that Kobe Bryant no longer existed. And everyone else at the park was living in a reality where he did exist. And it was a very surreal moment to like feel like that reality had split, even though all of those people would eventually rejoin in my reality. Well, that hits. Um, well, we'll do the intro yeah. here. Uh, I'm Quinn. I'm Derek, and welcome to the Denverse. Um, it almost, when we've been talking about this podcast, I've never thought that we would probably spend so much time on someone that never played in Denver, doesn't live in Denver, and really has almost no connection to Denver other than causing misery in a lot yeah. of different ways. Um, and being in the national spotlight from Colorado. But that's sort of where we are and everyone else is. And I'm sure a lot of people out there are sick of talking about Kobe Bryant. But just how monumental of an event this is has really been interesting to follow. Yeah. Um, how did you find out about Kobe? Um, quite simply, my mom just texted me. was like, Kobe died in a helicopter crash. And yeah, the same thing. Like, just the phrase itself is so like intangible mm-hmm. um and i think at this point at 27 we live in a world where there's more celebrities than there ever has been we, like you just know of more people existing and by that token there's been more people who've died so i have had my oh my god i know exactly where i was when michael jackson died i know exactly where i was when prince died um Yet, Kobe, I think by being an athlete, especially, yeah, he was in the news the night before because of LeBron, that disconnect was so hard. And so, yeah, I went on Reddit first, and what is so weird is that it was a TMZ report, which made it feel like, ugh, TMZ does not get this wrong. And there's no one of credentials who would report this if there was any chance that it wasn't the truth. But uh, yeah, it's just such a weird set of circumstances that then colored my entire day and most of my day Monday and a lot of last night and right now. Just the fact that the Nuggets game, the Nuggets game was the first NBA game played um, 
just something about three out three or four hours after his death was announced. And really, like a half hour after that Wojnarowski tweet, so like it was right away almost. And that yeah. was we saw players being informed on the court. Like I'm sure you saw the video of Murray mm-hmm. finding out on the court that uh, Kobe Bryant, whose camp he had attended, had died. So on this episode, we're really going to talk about how this death has shaped the last week, mm-hmm. and then we are going to have a Denver Stories episode come out where we talk about. Kobe Bryant's relationship with Colorado and the Denver Nuggets as a villain in many ways. And so this is not an episode to diminish the transgressions that um, have happened here in Colorado, Mm -hmm. where we know about this differently. And I heard, I listened to all of Sandy Clough's show on Monday. He had George Carl on, he had Matt Moore on. He talked a lot about a lot of things. And he said, in any other NBA market, they're having a completely different conversation than we are today. And that was the thing. And we see this with celebrity deaths. Everyone wants to say, how did this affect me? Like, they turn it back on me. Like, I remember this. And here in Colorado, Kobe Bryant was the top story for two years for something that he did off the court Mm -hmm. in Eagle, Colorado, a place that anytime I drive through Eagle, Colorado, I immediately think of Kobe Bryant because of how prominent um, the events were. And we're going to tackle all of that in the Denver Stories episode. Yeah, so I think in a lot of ways, there's reverence for the person that he was as an athlete and even beyond that. But I think our Denver Stories and the conversation is not so much about honoring him, but there's no way not to remember him. Yeah. Uh, when we talk about celebrity deaths, there's always that person who's like, you didn't even know them, blah, blah, blah. Why don't we care about soldiers or scientists or teachers the same way? And it really just is an impact. And I, we can't choose the things that have impact on us. Um, but we're here to kind of process that, especially from the lens as two people who were never fans of Kobe Bryant. If someone gave me a Kobe Bryant Lakers jersey, I would have no idea what to do with it. Um, I'm too cheap to tear it up. But um, there's not, yeah, this is a conversation that I think is different than a lot of other markets. And I think it was so interesting because it was so clear that this was so much bigger than, I mean, it made all the national news. We've seen, you know, the problems with that. We saw the errant ABC News report that all four of his daughters had died in the helicopter crash when it turned out that just one of his daughters had. Well, then there was a r- report right after. It was like, no one, none of his daughters died, only then to then flip. Yeah, it was, it was a mess there. There were clearly... Um, I'm sure you saw the reporter that said Nakers that people were very <laughs> upset about. And I will say, I think she is about my age. She's a weekend am- anchor on MSNBC, and no news is supposed to break on Sunday. At- That's why you put her there, yeah, because she's learning how to do this. I'm not sure she'd ever said the word Lakers in her life. There's, there was like the um, Twitter thing a couple years ago. It was like, do you hear Yanny or what was the other one? Uh, I don't know, but I know what you're talking it was, about. It was the blue dress of sound. Yeah, blue dress of sound, and I had very f- clearly heard the racial slur first but then when using a little bit of critical thinking i went back and listened to it and it totally sounded different um sorry lady there's no way to escape it because it's just like 
when something that had that much gravity, there's just something that was like silly and you could process some of your like disbelief and anger into her mistake as opposed to wrapping your head around the idea that this icon, this very complicated character is now dead in these conversations. We can just pile on to the no-name weekend anchor uh, for her <laughs> very unfortunate slip. He's used to getting about 50,000 viewers and suddenly has millions of viewers. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting thinking about which deaths were most like this that have happened within our culture. I heard several names thrown out. A lot of people talked about when Magic Johnson talked about uh, getting HIV. Mm -hmm. um, Which, at that point, felt like a death sentence. Yeah, that was, to a lot of people, the same as this. It was mm -hmm. like he was a walking dead man. With some hindsight, we know that's not true. There was Roberto Clemente, the Pittsburgh Pirates player. He was about 38 years old, still playing at the time of his death. Um, he was on a mercy mission, delivering aid, and his plane went down on, uh, I believe... I believe they said it was on New Year's Eve or around New Year's Eve. So shocking news there. Mm. Um, I think personally, the only death that we've had that is similar to this as a Denver sports community in the whole as a whole was Darren Williams' death. Yeah. Um, it was also New Year's Eve. Also New Year's Eve and just a shocking moment where we had this great rookie, all the promise ahead, so excited about him, and he was gone. And he was gone in a place that both of us have been so many times, like Spear Boulevard. Yeah. Just, I think that one was really hard, but it was sort of the opposite of this, where his whole playing career was ahead as opposed to behind. Yeah. The cultural person that I thought was interesting relating to this was John Lennon, because he was still someone that was doing things. He wasn't with the Beatles anymore. He was a little over 10 years removed but he was such a big personality that everyone knew who he was. Mm -hmm. And when he was shot um, coming out of his apartment off Central Park and the reverberations of that, I believe they announced it on Monday Night Football, um, there was a sports aspect to that. So of the people that aren't, that reach more than just like the fandoms, I think that those were some of the more interesting ones. Obviously Michael Jackson and Prince Mm -hmm. I think had that cultural touch point, but not in the way that Kobe Bryant did. I think, well, for our generation, those were just some of the people. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it, like, and it's hard to just, with, say, Darren Williams being shot and killed after a fight at a New Year's party, um, and even John Lennon, like an assassination, there's a way to make sense of it more because, like, Oh, a killer killed them. It's just just the phrase, Kobe Bryant died in a helicopter crash. It's just so odd. Although, like, looking at the stats, helicopters are 18 times more dangerous than L.A. traffic, which you assume is <laughs> more statistically dangerous than other places. Um, but, I mean, it, it's, like, so quick, so inglorious, and then all of a sudden it's like, wow, now we have to hold space for all of this. Um, yeah, but he really he transcended culture in a way because a lot of conversations just around. For our generation, we didn't get to see the greatest era of Michael Jordan. Um, 
Like most of us, if we got to see him play, it was probably when he was a wizard. Uh, yeah, I remember. Actually, one of my first vivid sports memories was Michael being down in that jazz series and hitting that shot. And that was the first time that I realized that there were athletes that could do something like that uh -huh. because um, just the magnitude of that moment. But then we had Kobe Bryant, the three-peat, and then everything else that came after yeah. that. Well, um, to that point, we just got more of Kobe. And for me, he was like the first superstar that I saw in person. And one of the first characters that like i knew to hate mm -hmm. um but he, he transcended the game in so many ways like kobe bryant brought the afro back and like he was one of the first players to just have an afro hairstyle and i remember in second grade growing one out my teacher being like oh you trying to be like kobe huh it's like <laughs> no but kind of um and seeing just like how it poured in by the time Kobe was big, the NBA had become a truly global game, and there was a lot of talk about how people may be mourning harder in some places, like basketball courts in Shanghai and Beijing and Manila, even more than um, well outside of LA. And then, like the Grammys, they had to change the opening of the Grammys to talk about Kobe because they were in the Staples Center. And there's only so few places in sports, I think, that you can really say, like, that this player built. Like, Gillette Stadium is the house that uh, Tom Brady built. And uh, wherever the, uh, like, the Capitals play, that's the place that Ovechkin built. Mm -hmm. And the Staples Center, I mean, one of the most well-known arenas in the world, that's Kobe Bryant's domain. Um, and to think about L.A. as, like, incongruous of a city it is, Kobe was a true L.A. celebrity. So it hit a lot of people in a lot of different ways and totally colored the conversation. I mean, it's Super Bowl week, and this is arguably one of the best matchups that we've gotten in a while, and the conversation is still, I think, muted in a lot of ways because you can't ignore the absence in the sports universe. One thing that was also interesting was that the Nuggets-Rockets game was the game on Sky Sports, which is the English or the England and Europe's uh, sports channel. And so the whole Nuggets game was on overseas already. And so a lot of the tributes from around the world were actually them watching the Altitude broadcast, which we can't see on Comcast. <laughs> um, and uh, Vic Lombardi, who was on the game, actually went on the BBC on Monday to like do an interview because they were, they, they were the voice that were, was relaying the story wow. in the way that we think about um, the people breaking in to talk about O.J. Simpson's car chase in sports and you know those big voices. Wow. Um, so it really did become Denver-centric and probably the most forgettable big Nuggets game in recent memory where even the players were saying, I don't remember taking shots. Like, that's what Mark Michael Porter Jr. said after the game. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing that is, I think a lot of Kobe Bryant's legacy building intentionally after the allegations in Eagle, Colorado, was that he really in the last decade has made an effort to uh, reach out to young players, make sure that they all had a connection to him in some way. I mean, 
when you talk about the Nuggets players, Porter had a connection to him. Murray went to his camp. Morris talked about the time where Kobe Bryant recognized him at a basketball game at the Staples Center last year. Will Barton talked about after the first time he played Kobe, Kobe talked to him for an hour about how he could improve his game and how Barton wanted to be better for Kobe. Mm. So Kobe Bryant really wanted to be that, amba- that ambassador in the NBA, in the WNBA, where he was really a strong presence, and in college basketball a lot because I think he was seeing that he needed to grow the game for his daughters. We don't know how much guilt played into any of this, but it all it all really did build up where he still wanted to be in the center of the conversation. Yeah, and it's living in this era, we're just more attuned to the transgressions of our heroes and the ability to forgive has shifted. But there was a... Dave Chappelle joke of around the time. It's like Kobe played for his freedom, and um, in a lot of ways, and not saying it's right or not, he transcended the cloud over him by just bawling the hell out and really like then lifting up so many others around him. And the other thing that is so interesting is that people seem to remember the almost the end like the last two championships and on of Kobe like that is how he's been remembered we have heard almost no talk of when he tried to get traded in 2007 we have heard almost no talk of him forcing Shaq out of the Lakers like the I the most the closest I can think of is the way that Steve Jobs apparently was the last time he came to Apple but people still remember the Steve Jobs the first time when he started Apple, where he was irrational and all over mm. the place. But then apparently later in life, he like settled down a little bit and he started like reconciling some of his problems. That to me was the interesting thing was that we're remembering the Kobe that I think he completely manufactured. He knew what he was doing. Um, yeah, and I, there. I don't think there's anyone who gets that level of fame, success, and wealth where there's not a narrative being created around and for them. And again, we'll talk about more like our relationship to Kobe as Denverse sports fans in our stories episode. Um, But he just played such a huge role in terms of being the villain to other teams, but then also being like being revered by those same fans to the point that he got to have a year-long goodbye tour, and they ESPN replayed his 60-point final game. And it's, it was hard not to watch that, all things considered, and feel moved and inspired. And that's really why we mourn people we've never met, because their myth, like the narrative that he created becomes something that we can hold on to and lift us up. And we're, th- we're creating gods in our own time. Exactly. And that was that's that's why this has been such a an altering week because we don't think that the gods can die. It'll be interesting to see how he's remembered going forward um, because there has been all of the normal fighting over immediately praising him and then immediately the backlash to the praise and the way that we fight about everything. And I think this is a lesson in 
it is uncomfortable to hold two opinions at the same time that are contradicting. Mm-hmm. And that is that to me is really what we have to wrestle with with Kobe Bryant. And I think that that is what we'll continue to wrestle with. Yeah. And well, rest in peace to all nine people who lost their lives. Um, certainly thinking about his daughter has been one of the, I think the more, more pure ways to look at the tragedy and grieve. Uh, Cause I think for all of us, like, I don't care who my child is. They're going to learn how to throw a punch, fix their own bike tire and how to shoot a basketball and throw a football. And that's what I got to see a glimpse of that through the memorializing of him and Gianna. Well, and the, the other interesting thing about that is that he was basically done with basketball and she was like, no, I like basketball. And so I'm going to bring you back into this. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is the, that is the other thing that I think was good about all of this is that he, he was living for his daughters instead of having his daughters live for him, which we see backfire so often with star parents and their children. Yeah. Well, as we mentioned, the Nuggets did beat the Rockets in that game and tie the season series at two, which is huge. I mean, huge thing because the Nuggets have have just won all their division games. And so that means that at the end of the season, if they're tied in the standings, the Nuggets are going to have the tiebreaker given the uh, conference standings probably. Mm-hmm. Um, we went and watched at uh, the Pio on Friday night. The Nuggets uh, beat the Pelicans, which was a much more tense game than we needed. Saw some Jokic leadership where he was really directing the troops in that game. Um, saw Michael Malone get kicked out. Mm-hmm. Feisty game. But Nuggets get their Christmas redemption. Get their Christmas present. Well, almost. Christmas and Halloween redemption. Yes. <laughs> it's almost February, but <laughs> if only it had been Groundhog's Day, we could have gotten the Groundhog's Day redemption. Well, it was interesting. That was Zion Williamson's second game back, and uh, his leash was a little bit longer in terms of minutes. And I'm not one to buy into the hype of anybody. Like, I still don't think Luka Doncic is as good as he clearly is. Um, With Zion, it was impossible to ignore his impact on the court. Um, Like, he's a big dude, but he's not as big as I thought. Mm -hmm. Like, they made him now to be like 6'10, 350 pounds, and he could like jump over the rim. Um, he cannot jump over the rim right now. No, no. <laughs> no one in the Pelicans organization would <laughs> want him to do such a thing. But it was interesting to see a Pelicans team that has, in a couple of ways, uh, overachieved this season. Um, and with players like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, who were high-profile players in traded in the Anthony Davis trade from the Lakers, to see them play well but then have to like change their role to this rookie who's only played two games and I think Zion lived up to it in the way that we've been excited to see Porter Jr. play Uh, and I just got kind of sad thinking about this is as good as the Nuggets have ever been but it feels like this is as good as like five other teams have ever been as well and the Pelicans I think are going to be a problem for a while so I was happy to be able to almost have to steal a game well, and I think the one thing for Pelicans is the same thing that it is for Nuggets and Michael Porter Jr. There's just the health thing that's just looming over both of yeah. them. It's like if they can stay healthy, 
And you look at both of them, and for the opposite reasons, you're like, I don't know that they can stay healthy because Porter's just a little too skinny and Zion's just a little too big. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we'll see how that works out. And then last night, the Nuggets, as uh, Brandon Voigt of DNVR said, walked into Memphis and walked out with a loss. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Great job, Brandon. That is beautiful wordplay and topical on walking in Memphis. Um, yeah, they got. They just looked like. It's so frustrating that the Nuggets every once in a while just no one will hit a shot for grand periods of time. And in the first quarter, they uh, gave up 31 points and only scored 18. So automatically, which the Nuggets have done several times this year, they had to fight back. And third quarter, they held the Grizzlies to 19 points. Only problem. Nuggets only scored sixteen. Uh, that was it was like a classic trap game, and the Grizzlies are another team who have been overachieving with their really great guards and, and John Morant and Dylan Brooks. The Nuggets, for some reason, have just struggled in Memphis the last couple of years. They had that huge comeback win a couple of years ago. You mm-hmm. know, that was like their biggest comeback win ever. And then last year, they, I think they lost in Memphis too. It's one of their favorite places to lose. <laughs> and well, they also lost. Um, on some trickery, some nonsense uh, election night, which 2016, which yeah, I'd never. I don't think they have to play in Memphis again. And, um, but thinking about it, Memphis is really. I think Memphis is eighth seed, eighth seed right now, and they're trending up. Yeah, Morant's not getting the credit that he deserves. No, no. Well, he's definitely the front runner for Rookie of the Year this year. Uh, with Zion and Michael Porter Jr. Uh, several rungs down, just in terms they haven't been able to play as much. But, yeah, Memphis is playing good. We may have to see them in the playoffs. I hope, like, God forbid it would be that they have the home court in that series. But uh, glad that one's over. <laughs> so nine days ago, the Colorado Avalanche played, and they have not played since. Um, the All-Star game, the... They do it by divisions. They do a three-on-three tournament. The Central Division seemed to be lacking some firepower that could have been helped by adding Kale McCarr to the roster and not a fourth Blues player for no reason. But Petrangelo did make the last vote. Nathan McKinnon didn't really do a lot. It was just a Blues fest. Really, getting to host the All-Star game after the Stanley Cup, just don't like that at all. That should not be something that's allowed going forward. Um, I know that it wasn't... They announced it this time last year. The Blues were terrible at that point. There was no way to know they were going to win the Stanley Cup, but I, d- I don't really love the love fest that went on. Oh, okay. Sorry. So it wasn't It wasn't necessarily that you win the Stanley Cup, then you get to host the All-Star game. It just happened to be that the Stanley Cup winner was already going to host it. Yeah. And when the Avs won their last Stanley Cup, they had the All-Star game the year they won the Stanley Cup. So they had, like, the opposite. Like, the oh. hype just kept getting bigger. There was a rumor the Avs were going to get the All-Star game next year, and then it went to Florida. So I don't think Florida's going to win the Stanley Cup, but <laughs> that would have been a better omen. Yeah, but no one wants to do Super Bowl or All-Star things, or championship or All-Star games in cold places. So the Avs finally play again on Saturday, and then not next Tuesday, but the following Tuesday, they have a home game again. So <laughs> look out for that, guys. February 11th, the Avs finally return home. Um, 
couple more just around the Denver stories. The Buffs swept the Washington schools last week. Two big wins. They moved up to 20th in the standings, which was their high mark so far. Uh, McKinley Wright finally seems as the point guard to have settled into really taking charge of the games. Uh, there was a point where Washington was coming back in the uh, second game. Uh, CU scored 51 points in the first half, which is a ton for college, uh, like on pace for 102 points, and then let Washington get back in the game. McKinley Wright had this steal that really broke the game open. Uh, Evan Batty threw his weight around, and Dallas Walton, who has had three knee surgeries, including ACL tears, uh, finally looked good again and was able to jump and sort of look like how he did before he was out all of last year. So that was great to see. He may not be a huge contributor next year or this year, but having his size for next year will be great, especially depending on who stays. Um, and he and Batty could be quite the defensive force for the Buffs next season. Mm. Uh, McKinley Wright is definitely like he's a team captain and arguably the best player on the team. Yeah, Ty Tyler Bay's a little more athletic. He has more NBA prospects, but it's because McKinley Wright's like six foot. Oh, uh, okay. Um, but that was going to be the question. Who is yeah. the NBA prospect on the team? Because the Buffs, I mean, they're definitely like a mid-level college basketball team, but they've got like decent representation in the league. This team, which could be on track to be the best CU Buffs team ever almost, is it because of, like, Boyle and the style that they're playing, or is it that they have the talent? Well, I mean, having Wright and Bay, and I mean, Wright, if he was a few inches taller, would be a lock for the NBA and may be able to fight his way into the NBA. Mm. And Bay, who is, like, just an athletic freak. But they, I think I saw 95% of their minutes from last year returned this year. They're still a very young team a couple seniors, and then mostly juniors. Like, this is the class that's grown up together. Ah. Um, and so I think it's the system and everyone getting at their best at the right time, having a lot of upperclassmen, having that support. So, and I, I mean, Tad Boyle's done a really good job coaching overall. They've had some bad losses, but some of them have been the players. Like, I don't, I very rarely in basketball think, like, in college basketball, I think you can blame the players too much, but... They've had a couple where they just... Like the Arizona blew. loss. Yeah, the Arizona loss where they just didn't show up. And the Oregon State loss after beating Oregon where they just like fell apart in the zone, just like crumpled. <sighs> um, that was McKinley Wright's worst game. And he played really well for the first uh, 32 minutes of that game. Um, so they go to UCLA and USC this week. Their goal is to try to get the sweep. Uh, probably unlikely, but um, if they did, right now... They're slated as a five seed in the tournament and sweeping a road. One of their remaining road trips would probably move them up if they can win their home games. Would, I don't know if you know this off the top, but would that make them the highest like ranking tournament seed? So th if they get to four, that would be their highest that I know of. Mm. I mean, projected to be in the Sweet 16 would just be nice because they have not made it. That would be, that's such a cool thing to be able to look forward to. I mean, don't, never look ahead of the game right in front of you, but in a season of sports, it's just felt like uh, maybe kind of for a lot of our teams, be really cool to see the Buffs jump out as like big dogs. Rockies Fan Fest, just wanted to update you on that real mm -hmm. quick. Um, Jeff Breidich was spotted greeting fans heading into Fan Fest, and then he disappeared back into his cave. Um... <laughs> Nolan Arenado was nowhere to be seen. Dick Monfort was nowhere to be seen. But 
in great Rockies fashion, they made David Dahl and Trevor Story and Kyle Freeland and Bud Black answer questions about the situation. That's Tra- oh sorry. No, go ahead. That that seems so whack. That everyone walking into FanFest um, knew what the cloud was, the Nolan shaped cloud. And to like trot out players to address that just feels so yucky to me. And Rockies pitchers and catchers report February 11th, the Avs' next home game. Um, <laughs> and they're going to, this is the thing. This cloud is not going away. They can do whatever they want. There will be national guys there. They are going to be circling around the Rockies because the most ridiculous trade scenarios are just flying. Most recent I saw was a one for one swap of Chris Bryant and Nolan Arenado, which would make me so unhappy forever. Oh, my God. With the Chicago Cubs. So. Fun times there. Um, and before we go, uh, let's just uh, talk about the Super Bowl for a minute. Oh, uh, yeah, because that is happening. <laughs> it's Sunday. San Francisco 49ers and the Kansas City Chiefs. Right now, the odds for the Super Bowl are the Chiefs minus 1.5. So this is basically even odds. Yeah. Um, I think that people think that the betting is going to the Chiefs' way because they have the best player in Patrick Mahomes. But San Francisco has a lot of really good players too. Um, Their offense has not had to work that hard in the playoffs because they've done a great job running the ball and their defense has been great. Mm -hmm. And I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I'm not a prediction guy. I don't, I don't make predictions before because who cares what I think, but (laughs) I do think that there are a lot of interesting matchups in this game. I am worried because it seems like whenever we feel like we've had a Super Bowl figured out, the exact opposite thing has happened. So we're like, this is going to be a close game. We thought the Broncos' offense was going to be so powerful that the Seahawks were going to have no chance in oh Super Bowl Lord. 48. And we thought that the Broncos had no chance against the strong attack of Cam Newton in Super Bowl 50. And we thought that the New England Patriots, there was no way they were going to come back in the fourth quarter against the Atlanta Falcons. So And we thought that last year there would be actually a competitive game happening whatsoever so yeah you just never know um i do think we've talked about a lot of angles of this uh teams that have lost the super bowl the last few years have not fared well i mentioned atlanta they've been a bad team ever since they lost the super bowl you think about what happened to carolina after the broncos beat them you think about what happened to seattle after they were unable to get the ball in to Mm -hmm. the end zone against the patriots and last season the Los Angeles Rams, who just completely imploded on themselves. So, pers- well, they didn't deserve to be there in the first place. No, but everyone was so like Goff was going to be in that elite quarterback. Yeah, their defense was unstoppable. They've now fired Wade Phillips. Like, to me, the Chiefs losing the Super Bowl for personal reasons of I don't like the Chiefs, and for this might help the Broncos. Chiefs losing the Super Bowl. Is where I am, but I feel like you have a couple thoughts on maybe the Chiefs should win the Super Bowl. It's okay. Well, don't you dare go out in the streets and say that I think that they should win the Super Bowl. That's that makes the it name s- of the episode. Sound <laughs> <laughs> Quinn thinks the Chiefs should win the Super Bowl. <laughs> Derek, I have a reputation to protect. <laughs> There's no way. Although I have watched a Chiefs game at Don's Bar, and it was a supremely uncomfortable experience. Um, oh, it's going to be such a mess down on Sixth. Um, no, so I have a I have a question 
that I think is a worthy philosophy to explore, which is, as Denver fans, fans who have never liked the Chiefs, should we, in fact, root for the Chiefs because they are divisional division rivals and family and having a stronger AFC West makes the Broncos better. Again, just a question, is that a viable way to go into the game as a Denver Broncos fan? I think you can say that I think you could say that more easily if the Broncos had been in any way competitive against the Chiefs the last <laughs> few years. Um but, I mean, I think there are people that are like, you know, the AFC West was kind of terrible this year. Uh, well, the Broncos got the second seed in that yeah. division somehow. And last year, at least the Chargers were really good, and now Phillip Rivers is out in Los Angeles, <sighs> not San Diego. They did him so dirty. Um, but this is the statistic that I just like to think about that I would just like to stay forever. The last division team to win the Super Bowl other than the Broncos, was the 1984 Oakland Raiders. I didn't even know they won that Yeah, they've soon. won They've won three. Recently. Yeah, 84. That was the last one. And the Broncos have won the last three. If the Broncos could just be the last team to ever win the Super Bowl forever, yeah. I would be okay with that. <laughs> that, I mean, that's, that is 95% of the way that I exist. I don't want the Chiefs, the Raiders, or the Chargers to ever experience something positive. It's still hard enough that um, the Seahawks, who used to be division rivals, have their one Super Bowl now. Um, but, uh, but also, it's hard to root for the 49ers because they have been, well, they're an NFC West team, but they have kind of been a cousin to the Broncos the last several years in that they always play preseason games and do like that week of scrimmaging one another before. Um, Emmanuel Sanders is now on the team. John Lynch. The fact that we could have traded for Jimmy Garoppolo at some point. Kyle Shanahan. Kyle, Kyle Hannon. Oh, the better interview. Akella Witherspoon, who went to CU. Um, John Embry is a coach on the 49ers. The one person for the Kansas City Chiefs that we can be happy for is John Embry's former assistant, Eric, Eric Bieniemy. Yeah, um, that's it. That's the one person we can be happy for. You know, I and I'll admit it. He's been around for a while. I can't hate Andy Reid. He's just he's too plump and jolly, and dude has persevered through a lot. Um, I would certainly do not want to see his big chicken wing eating hands uh, grasping the trophy. But that was just a question that I wanted to pose. Is there a way that I can root for a Chiefs fan and not be being betraying my Broncos fandom? I think Andy Reid makes sense. I mean, I it's hard to say which Patriots Super Bowl I would most like to take away from them, <laughs> but that Donovan McNabb Super Bowl that they lost was rough. Yeah. Um, yeah. That may have made... Well, that would have made Philly fans more obnoxious, but it would have been worth it because that would have like pumped the brakes on the Patriots dynasty. And McNabb was just so much fun to watch yeah. back in the day. Oh god, he was so cool. All right, well that does it for the Denver's. Uh, schedule's gonna be in flux a little bit this week, but look out for the Denver Stories episode. Maybe we'll have a couple other things for you. Until then, I'm Derek. I'm Quinn. See ya.